Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Here are today's top stories. Former President Trump is indicted on federal charges over classified documents. Now he's crying election interference by President Biden. We'll speak to an expert. An FBI document allegedly has some incriminating allegations regarding President Biden, a Ukrainian gas company, and $5 million. Lawmakers react. Texas has come up with a novel solution to stop illegal immigrants from entering the country. It involves a new type of barrier in the Rio Grande River. A new Twitter files installment says the FBI and a Ukrainian spy agency worked together to block Twitter accounts in the war-torn country. Former President Trump has been indicted again, this time on federal charges by special counsel Jack Smith. It's in connection with his handling of classified documents. Trump announced the news last night on Truth Social, saying he was informed by his attorneys that he's to appear in court in Miami next Tuesday. To discuss this development, I spoke with Lee Smith, Epoch TV host and author of The Plot Against the President. Lee Smith, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's great to be with you. Lee, you've been following the uh, investigations into Donald Trump for some years now. Uh, what do you make of this indictment so far? Well, I think it's the culmination of what started in 2016. It's the culmination of the uh, Russiagate investigation, not Russiagate, but the investigation of Donald Trump, which was to frame him, right? So that's where we are. Now Donald Trump has been framed. We don't know exactly uh, all of the what the charges in the indictment look like. I suspect that will be, um, well, that'll be unsealed on Tuesday at the arraignment. But right now, again, they're going to keep playing on the point that Donald Trump is disloyal. He's a seditious conspiracist. He's an insurrectionist. And that's why he was holding on to classified intelligence, right? That's what we see from 2016 through the present, whether they've gone after Donald Trump and his aides, uh, Donald Trump supporters, with January 6th, what we see now is the culmination of we've been watching for nearly seven years. Now, a Trump attorney told CNN that the charges are related to the Espionage Act, which is usually related to spying. Um, yeah. What does this mean? You know, why is special, uh, why is special counsel Jack Smith uh, bringing this? Well, as I, as I, we don't know for sure. That that attorney may be right. He may not be right. We we again. Well, all we have so far are leaks, and you know some of the leaks, of, of course, are accurate because they've gone from the DOJ to their put-through devices in the media, whether that's the New York Times or CNN, Washington Post, MSNBC. But again, we'll have to wait and see. But the point of the Espionage Act is simply that. Remember how this started. They accused Donald Trump of being a Russian spy in order to get a warrant to spy on the Trump campaign. Right. So it was um, instrumental, but it was also um, it was also uh, how do we put this? It was intentionally destructive of our political system to call one uh, the candidate from one of the two major parties a spy. Right. But that's where we are now. This that's why I say this is the culmination of Russiagate. It started in 2016, maybe even late 2015. But right now, this is the high watermark of the Russiagate operation. Is there any precedent for this? Has any other major American political figure faced this much legal pressure? 
No. Uh, and, and, and look, this is partly about, this is largely about Donald Trump. And so the, the point is, is it that the Department of Justice and Democratic Party operatives and the media fear Donald Trump? Yeah, that has a lot to do with it. Do they hate Donald Trump? Yes, they do. But there's also something else going on here, and this is the intentional demolition of our political system, right? This is third world, as everyone said, right? This is third world, <laughs> a banana republic stuff. And so there are people who, who have decided to tear down um, our political system, never mind our justice system, and to, and to make a run at it and see if they can turn it into a one-party state. And so far, there's been very little resistance, whether they shut down the country uh, for COVID-19, whether they uh, whether they openly defrauded the American voter of uh, the, the American electorate in 2020, and I say that based on what's been published in the Twitter files, how the FBI and Department of Justice concealed information regarding Joe and Hunter Biden. So this is not a conspiracy theory. This is based on FBI documents and internal Twitter documents that the FBI defrauded the American elector in 2020. So we add all of these things together. And yes, certainly Donald Trump is in the middle of it. And they're certainly focusing on Donald Trump. But the larger play here is to destroy America's political system as it is and turn it into a one-party state led by a progressive junta. That's what's going on. Lee Smith, author of The Plot Against the President, thank you. Thank you, Chris. An FBI document allegedly says President Biden got $5 million from an executive of a Ukrainian natural gas company. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the case and the reactions from several lawmakers. Hunter Biden once sat on the board of the company named Burisma Holdings. An informant allegedly indicated in the document that the Ukrainian company hired Hunter, quote, to make the problems go away. Those problems allegedly centered around top Ukrainian prosecutor Viktor Shokin. Shokin was planning to investigate Burisma. He was fired in April 2016 amid long-standing charges of corruption. About a month prior to his dismissal, then-Vice President Biden threatened to cut off $1 billion in guaranteed loans to Ukraine unless Shokin was fired. Biden recounted the story at the Council on Foreign Relations in 2018. I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> got fired. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene says she reviewed the FBI document and believes it is very credible. Greene shared what a Burisma executive allegedly told the FBI informant cited in the document. He also said that he paid $5 million to one Biden and he paid $5 million to another. He told the informant that he has two pieces of evidence showing proof of payment to Hunter and specifically Joe Biden. President Biden addressed the allegations at a press conference on Fox News. Where's the money? I'm joking. Mr. President, a bunch of Representative Nancy Mace reacted to Biden's joke in a tweet saying, We don't find selling out your country funny. Prove us wrong by releasing your and your family's unredacted bank records. The FBI can't protect you forever, Mace added. And since you asked, the money is in your family's shell companies. Release these bank records too and attached a long list of companies. Representative Anna Paulina Luna also reacted on Twitter. 
The DOJ indicting President Trump the same day House Oversight members saw documentation from the FBI stating that Biden and his son each received a wire transfer of $5 million from a foreign actor is not by accident. What Biden has done is impeachable. The FBI form is from June 2020. It contains an interview with an informant who was, quote, highly credible. The informant described multiple meetings with a top Burisma executive over several years beginning in 2015. The executive allegedly wanted advice from the informant on buying a U.S.-based oil and gas company. The White House has downplayed the panel's investigation as a silly charade aimed at hurting Biden's reputation ahead of the 2024 elections. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And now a quick look at some headlines from the U.S. and around the world. Texas is getting creative in its fight for border security. Governor Greg Abbott says an inflatable barrier is being installed along the Rio Grande. The barrier should make crossing the river to enter the country more difficult. It consists of four-foot-wide buoys that are connected to each other. If someone tries to grab them, they spin. California Governor Gavin Newsom will sit for an interview with Fox News host Sean Hannity next week. That will be his first time on the network in over a decade. The two will discuss topics like immigration, the economy, and the presidential election. They will also talk about Newsom's latest proposal for a constitutional amendment. The amendment addresses what he called a national gun violence crisis. The interview will air on June 12th. The IRS has sent out millions of letters demanding payments of taxes owed, but many of them have incorrect information. The agency says some of the notices have a wrong payment date listed. The mistakes related to taxpayers in federally declared disaster regions whose tax deadlines were extended. The House Weaponization Committee has a bone to pick with the Federal Trade Commission. It said it has information indicating the agency targeted Twitter in reaction to Elon Musk's intention to buy the company. That was in May of 2022. It says the timing, scope, and frequency of its demands suggest a partisan motivation for its actions. A new Twitter Files installment was released on Wednesday. It says the FBI assisted a Ukrainian intelligence service to block numerous Twitter accounts. The accounts included journalists and media outlets. The files show communication between an FBI agent and Twitter's then head of trust and safety, Yul Roth. The agency told Roth the accounts were suspected by Ukrainian security forces of spreading fear and disinformation. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has lost an appeal. He was fighting extradition to the U.S. on espionage charges, but a high court judge in London rejected the move. Lawyers for Assange argued that the prosecution was politically motivated and say it violates a U.S.-U.K. extradition treaty. The treaty bars extradition for political offenses. Assange's wife says Assange will make a renewed application for appeal to the high court next Tuesday. When we come back, another potential incentive to own an electric vehicle in the future. What is it? Find out how EV charging could become easier. And a $30 million grant goes to electrifying tractors at a California port. It's part of an effort to become the world's first zero emissions port facility. More in just a moment, here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. Hawaii Governor Josh Green has a knack for being in the right place at the right time, 
at least when it comes to medical emergencies. He happened to be at the scene of a traffic accident yesterday, and good thing he's a former emergency room physician, because he was able to help someone who was hurt. Governor Green was traveling in Kauai when a man sitting in the bed of a pickup truck was ejected from the vehicle and landed on his head. The 25-year-old man was reportedly knocked unconscious. Green assessed the man's injuries as he regained consciousness and stayed with him until family medical services arrived. Just three weeks ago, he helped another traffic emergency. With others, he rescued a man whose car had flipped over into an inactive lava field. In that situation, the governor also happened to be driving through the area when he saw the scene of the accident. The family of an Illinois woman was, who was killed while parasailing in the Florida Keys is taking legal action. They filed their second lawsuit connected to her death this week. The family's attorney spoke about the case. Srini, his daughter, as I mentioned, Robbie Sada, whose son was in that parasail, witnessed their family get dragged over two miles in a parasail that had no connection to that boat anymore. Two miles towards a bridge, and they were begging and pleading this captain for help. Begging and pleading for help. The woman was killed after being dragged across the water and slamming into a bridge while strapped into a parasail. Florida officials investigating the crash found the boat captain cut the line holding the woman and the two children. He allegedly did so because the parasail was dragging in high winds from a sudden storm. Her husband, daughter, and other horrified family members watched from the boat as the tragic accident unfolded. Authorities have determined the cause of a 2021 Colorado wildfire that destroyed over a thousand homes and left two people dead. The culprits were embers from a days-old scrapwood fire and a sparking power line. Boulder County Sheriff Curtis Johnson spoke on Thursday about the tragedy. With every home that burned that day, people lost everything. All their possessions, family heirlooms were turned to ash. I share in that loss as I lost my home to the Marshall Fire. Authorities spent 18 months investigating the case. They determined that criminal charges were not warranted. The blaze spread in heavily populated suburbs between Denver and Boulder, causing $2 billion in damage. It was the most destructive fire in Colorado history. The inferno erupted following months of drought amid a winter nearly devoid of snow. It may have just gotten easier for future electric vehicle owners to charge their cars. More manufacturers are making their cars compatible with Tesla's charging network. Here's Don Ma with NTD Business. General Motors electric vehicle owners can soon access Tesla's vast network of electric vehicle fast chargers. Under an agreement announced Thursday, General Motors will adopt Tesla's North American charging plug standard and give GM electric vehicle buyers access to the Tesla supercharger network. The agreement was announced by GM CEO Mary Barra and Tesla chief Elon Musk in a Twitter Spaces event. GM's move follows a similar decision by Ford to embrace Tesla's charging plug standard. And that means three of the top EV sellers in the North American market have now agreed on a standard for charging hardware. 
And here to talk to me is Lauren Fix, automotive expert for Car Coach Reports. Well, first of all, Lauren, thanks for joining me at the airport, it seems like. So I wanted to talk to you about uh, GM and Tesla. Seems like investors are happy about the deal. Um, both companies' shares were up a bit in after-hours trading. What's your reaction hearing this? This is actually good news. One of the things that always made Tesla very exciting to people was the fact that they had their own infrastructure, their own charging stations. And there's more of those even here in the Buffalo area. We don't have a lot of charging, but having Tesla fast chargers allowed people to buy their vehicles. But now with Jim Farley from Ford agreeing to work with Elon Musk and put that interface for their charging stations in all their new cars, that was huge for Ford. But now Mary Farra sat down with Elon Musk in Twitter spaces and they agreed to also use that interface, which means it sounds like we've come to an agreement on which interface to these electric charging stations are the one that's going to be the winner, sort of like Betamax and VHS, right? Remember those two? So in this case, this is the VHS version. It's what Elon Musk wants, and there'll have to be adapters for those people that don't have it. But this is actually really good news for all three brands, and you can see by the increase in stock price for Tesla. So is this going to be a huge deal for consumers in the end? Mm -hmm. Yes, I think it's a big deal for consumers. There's nothing more frustrating than getting to a charging station and it doesn't work. But there's a Tesla charger next to it you can't use. Well, now you'll be able to use it. You can buy an adapter today to make it, use, make it usable. But unfortunately, it gives you level two charging. This will give you the fast charging that is the level three charging that consumers want so they can get charged up quicker. It's still not as fast as pumping gas but it's certainly going to give some more options to consumers. Do you think this will eventually accelerate adoption of EVs? Will, have, will, will it have an uh, impact? I don't think it's going to accelerate the adoption of EVs, even though I know the government's pushing really hard. There's a lot of people are showing a lot of concerns. There's been a lot of negative news and a lot of true costs when you look into owning one. But what it will do is those people that do purchase an electric vehicle will get the benefit of having more places to charge rather than just at home. So at the end of the day, it's all about convenience. It absolutely is. It's got to be about charging. And until charging gets much quicker, basically it takes eight minutes to fill up a tank of gas. Until it gets down to that eight to 10 minute range, consumers are still questioning whether it's going to work for them. And some people, in my case, it doesn't work. I live far out and I prefer to have a gasoline powered vehicle, but there should be options. There should be hybrids. There should be gasoline. There should be plug-in hybrids and electric vehicles. Consumers make the choice and they should, as in any free market, make the final decisions on what sells and what doesn't. Well, all right. Thank you so much today, Lauren, uh, at the airport of all places. Pleasure speaking <laughs> yeah. to you. Thank you. Now, Tesla, GM, and Ford together account for about 70% of current U.S. EV sales. Industry executives see different EV charging connectors as a barrier to wider consumer adoption of electric vehicles. A California port terminal is buying electric tractors with $30 million from the federal government. There's one stipulation. The tractors must be operated by people. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on workers' attempts to keep their jobs in an era of energy transition and increased automation. Long Beach Container Terminal has purchased 60 electric tractors. Workers haul shipping containers from stacks. So we're, we're working the vessel here with the ship to shore cranes, discharging, and this ship is now loading back after discharging the entire ship. And what we have here is a crane in which I have a man in the cab who's doing some of the work to and from 
loading and discharging the ship. The drivers will work alongside more than 100 automated vehicles and 70 driverless container stacking cranes. America's most automated port terminal aims to be emissions free by 2030. The $30 million grant that we are awarded allows us to take really that lat gets us 95% of the way to the balance of our emissions that we have here in this facility. The $30 million grant from the federal government is a fraction of the terminal's $2.5 billion modernization program. According to the EPA, the U.S. transportation sector is the nation's largest contributor of greenhouse gas emissions. I mean, every bit of fossil fuels will be eliminated from this operation. The maritime industry is a big producer of emissions in this region for the local communities, and LVCT is doing its part to make sure that we've reduced it down to zero, at least for our operation here at LVCT. Projects such as improving cargo efficiency and reducing emissions come with a catch. Equipment and infrastructure aren't allowed to result in net job loss, but the combination has proved effective so far. What we wanted to design was a terminal that was the most efficient, the most technologically advanced, and more importantly than anything, the cleanest container terminal in the world. And we've achieved that now that we're at complete build-out. Union members still secure containers on vessels, operate massive cranes, and set containers on the trailers of waiting semi-trucks. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. After the break, a former Afghan soldier and ally with the U.S. waits to hear if he'll be granted asylum. And a child pornography network on Instagram has been exposed by academics and journalists. But where is law enforcement? We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. Instagram's algorithm has been promoting accounts that openly sell child pornography. That's according to investigations by the Wall Street Journal and researchers at Stanford and the University of Massachusetts Amherst. I spoke with Andrew Selipak, a social media professor at the University of Florida, for his analysis on this alarming revelation. Andrew Selipak, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Andrew, child porn is illegal. How are accounts allowed to exist on uh, so accounts like this allowed to exist on social media in the first place? Well, they shouldn't. You know, one of the things that we've seen is that people were using hashtags uh, that really should have been banned in the first place. And this is something that a multi-billion dollar company like Meta, which owns Instagram, should have already known to eliminate, delete, prevent users from even being able to search for or connect over. So this is really a, a fault, a problem, a big issue for Meta. You know, social media companies have been you know, criticized by this article as being the sort of pimps of child pornography. How does this work? How does the algorithm actually promote these things to people? Well, one of the things that it does is there's a couple different ways where you discover. And what I mean by this is that you can do a search for a hashtag on Instagram, and you can do a search for any of the ones that were listed that you know connected child sex predators. But the other thing is that what Instagram and Facebook, and for the most part, all social media want to do is they want to keep you on the platform. So to do this, they want to constantly show you content that you may like, 
and they're basing this off of the content that you've engaged with, the people that you follow. So it's a way to build communities. It's really ingrained into the system. The problem is, is if you have a community of people exchanging child pornography, it's literally set up to kind of connect you to other child pornographers, other people who like child pornography. So it's really baked into the system to connect people based on interest. It just so happens in this case, the interest was child pornography. Where's law enforcement here? You'd think that they would be very proactive about addressing this issue. I think that's one of the big things with this story that's the most concerning. Instagram basically said, we've deleted over 400,000 accounts that were related to these child sex predator rings, um, but they didn't say if they reported it to the FBI. You have to assume that these accounts were across state lines, probably international accounts. You had people selling child pornography, creators of child pornography who would sell this content. So from that reason alone, you would think the FBI would be very highly involved in this and, and that Instagram would be providing IP addresses, that Instagram would be looking at how money was exchanged between these different pedophiles and then people who consume child pornography, what additional third-party apps were being used to do this, was it being done with cryptocurrency? And that is a huge missing part. It really shouldn't be professors and academics who are finding child pornography and reporting on it. It should be the FBI, it should be Instagram, should be social media platforms that are doing this and not rely on the average user to expose it. Maybe we'll start to see a change here. So last question, what can parents do to keep their kids safe from this you know, really toxic environment online? I think the biggest thing is that parents need to know what goes on on social media. It's, it's not enough just to know that your child is on there and maybe give them a couple warnings. Parents really need to understand the platforms. Parents need to know how they work, how their child can be exposed to different things, and then decide if they want their child to be on there. At the end of the day, social media is a nice way for people to connect, but if you're a child, is there really a big need to connect with whoever? You know, one of the things we think about is not just, okay, well, who can the, the a child potentially encounter, but it's also who those people are trying to encounter. There are people out there trying to encounter children. So they're purposely looking for kids. And from that perspective, I think parents not just need to know how these things work, but also make a big decision as to whether or not they should allow their child to be on there in the first place. All right, Andrew Selopak, social media professor at the University of Florida, thank you. Thank you. It's been nearly two years since the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan. Scores of interpreters and other allies remain fearful under the Taliban regime. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details on one Afghan soldier seeking asylum in the U.S. Afghan soldier Abdul Wasi Safi was eventually released from a Texas immigration detention center, but the days since have been filled with medical appointments. 50 person, I lost right side also. I am 27 years old. I lost my two here. Now he's living in Houston with his brother. He's getting treatment for injuries he suffered while making the journey to the U.S.-Mexico border last year. He fled Afghanistan, fearing retribution from the Taliban following the U.S. withdrawal in 2021. His brother does his best to reassure him. I have nothing to tell him but to say, be patient. God is great, be patient. That's why we come to 
mosque today and this holy month asking God Almighty to guide us. Safi is anxious to see if he will be granted asylum. He's afraid he'll be deported. I'm scared of my life. I don't know about my future. I don't know what this government, what the United States do with me. It's a situation many Afghans who've come to the U.S. are facing. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, the two toddlers seriously injured in France are stable, as it's revealed the attacker's asylum application was refused just four days ago. And both sides of the Ukraine war report of heavy fighting in the east and the south. A possible sign that Kyiv's counterattack is underway. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. The French government today said two toddlers stabbed by a knifeman are fighting for their lives but stable. Emotions were high today as well-wishers laid flowers at the playground where the attack occurred. A local resident exclaimed, why was I not here yesterday? Four children aged between 22 and 36 months and two pensioners were wounded during the assault in the French mountain town of Annecy. Among the children wounded in the attack were British and Dutch nationals, but not German as we reported earlier. Police have arrested the attacker, a Syrian national who was granted asylum in Sweden 10 years ago. The French interior minister said the suspect was homeless, and just four days before the attack, his demand for asylum in France had been rejected. A local prosecutor said there was no indication that terrorism was the motivation. President Macron visited the hospital where three of the four children are being cared for and met their families. Russia reported heavy fighting in southern and eastern Ukraine today. Meanwhile, evacuations from flooded areas are ongoing. Russia said on Friday it had repelled fierce Ukrainian offensives in eastern and southern Ukraine. Kiev said its forces had advanced near Bakhmut, but made no comment about fighting in the south. Donetsk region faces very tough battles, but there is a result, and I'm grateful to everyone who ensures this result. The southern Zaporizhia front is seen as one of Ukraine's main potential targets, as it serves as the land bridge linking Russia to Crimea. A former British Army head said Ukraine's counteroffensive is beginning. Meanwhile, authorities in a southern Russian city said three people were injured from a drone attack. On Friday, more people were evacuated from flooded areas in southern Ukraine. Kiev said at least four people had died after a strategically important dam was destroyed. When I woke up, the water in the apartment was up to my knees. We began carrying our belongings out. The water kept coming floorboards started going up. A Russian-appointed official said eight people had died in Russian-held territory and about 6,000 had been evacuated from their homes. Ukraine's security service released a recording on Friday of what it describes as an intercepted phone call in which a Russian soldier confides to another man that the Russian sabotage group had blown up the dam. The dam had been under Russian occupation since the early weeks of Russia's invasion last year. Moscow has blamed the dam's destruction on Ukraine. 
Staying with Ukraine, new warnings about landmines uprooted and dispersed by floodwaters from the breach dam. They could pose a grave danger to civilians for decades to come. The flooding from the destruction of the Nova Kohovka Dam in Ukraine is continuing to spread, now hitting the city of Mykolaiv. And the Red Cross is warning that one particular side effect of this disaster could pose an incredible danger to civilians even decades from now. Unexploded landmines and other munitions that have been swept away by the flood and now could literally be anywhere. They could still be in minefields, or they could be in the middle of roads, someone's backyard, or in their own home. As one Red Cross official put it, the only thing we do know is that the mines are somewhere downstream. Andrew Matthewson is with the Halo Trust, an NGO that clears land mines, and has been working in the Nikolaev region. The immediate threat to us and our staff and civilians is the fact that mines might move, and that will you know, that will lead to the, to the need for us to resurvey these areas, remark them as minefields, um, and, and obviously re, reorganize ourselves in terms of how to approach the clearance problem. We've seen 5,000 mines in that region in the last month alone. Um, it, it, yeah, it, it's, it's basically impossible to give an estimate. I mean, the contamination is so, so massive. Meanwhile, evacuations from the flood are ongoing, but the fighting around it hasn't stopped. After 12 hours of negotiations, ministers from 27 European Union countries agreed yesterday on how to share the responsibility for looking after migrants and refugees. Under the deal, each country would be responsible for a set number of people, but would not necessarily have to take them in. Countries unwilling to receive refugees and illegal immigrants arriving to the EU would be able to help their hosting peers through cash, equipment, or personnel. Each migrant will cost around $22,000. While Poland and Hungary are opposed, the deal is to be finalized ahead of a 2024 European Parliament election. Hosting immigrants has become an increasingly divisive issue in the bloc since 2015. Europe's Border and Coast Guard Agency detected over 300,000 illegal border crossings at the external border in 2022, the highest in six years. One of Russia's longest-serving and most respected human rights campaigners went on trial yesterday. He faces the prospect of three years in jail. I don't understand this accusation at all, because I'm on trial for an opinion. I expressed my opinion, gave an assessment of what is happening in Russia and Ukraine. Orlov is charged with discrediting the armed forces based on an article he wrote denouncing Russia for waging the conflict. Orlov has been one of the leaders of the Memorial Human Rights Center for over 20 years. Memorial was founded in the Soviet Union to ensure the victims of communist repression would be remembered. The organization won a share of the Nobel Peace Prize in 2022 a year after being banned and dissolved in Russia. At the hearing, Orlov was supported by journalist Dmitry Muratov, also a Nobel Peace Prize winner. Since the beginning of the Ukraine war, Moscow has intensified its clampdown on all forms of political dissent. It's now an offense to discredit the armed forces or deviate from government accounts. S sentences range up to 15 years in jail. Up next, a huge reproduction of the girl with a pearl earring is on display in the Netherlands. The new exhibit shows how Vermeer's masterpiece has changed over time. 
Marketing. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan. Welcome back. A huge reproduction of the girl with a pearl earring is on display in The Hague. The new exhibit shows how Vermeer's masterpiece has changed over time. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Girl with a pearl earring is bigger than ever. This 13-foot high 3D print of the Johannes Vermeer masterpiece sits in the foyer of the Mauritshuis Museum. Visitors can feel the texture of the painting and see every tiny detail. Obviously, it's a painting that everyone knows and loves and is a big crowd favorite in the Mauritshuis, but we wanted our visitors to have a whole new experience about the painting. The new exhibit is called Who's That Girl? A presentation shows what the painting would have looked like in 1665. She has eyelashes that are now no longer visible because the paints have changed over time. So one part of this, uh, uh, this exhibition is showing how the girl would have looked when she was freshly painted by Vermeer in 1665. It took 88 hours to scan every detail of the painting. 3D printing the massive piece was a 200-hour endeavor. Hyrox was the company behind the technological feat. A painting, people think of it as a kind of a flat object, but it's not. Also, people think, you know, once it's there, it's there forever. But there are a lot of things happening on the surface. Cracks are appearing, color degradation. Researchers have also traced where the painter's pigments originated. Some were from as far away as South America and Afghanistan. Who's That Girl runs until January 7th, 2024. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A 10 and a half carat diamond named the Eternal Pink sold at auction yesterday for just under $35 million. This gem is extremely rare for achieving the highest grade available for the already uncommon pink diamonds. It's also been classed as internally flawless. Pink diamonds have a history of fetching high values, but they've soared in the past few years. That's largely because a mine in Australia that produced most of the world's pink diamonds closed in 2020. This was one found in Botswana and fetched $34.8 million. Another pink diamond sold last year in Hong Kong was less than one year, one carat heavier. It went for 58 million bucks. On the same day, this 55-carat stunner sold for over $34 million at a Sotheby's auction. That makes it both the largest and most valuable gem of its kind. It's called Estrella de Fura, and it was part of Sotheby's magnificent jewel sale. The ruby was found in Mozambique last July in a mine owned by Fura Gems. The rough stone was originally 101 carats before it was cut down. It was also the largest gem-quality ruby ever discovered. The previous auction record was a ruby was set in 2015 by the so-called Sunrise Ruby. The beauty was over 25 carats and sold for over $30 million. Some treasures aren't as beautiful, but no less precious. An ancient wood carving believed to predate Stonehenge has been discovered in Berkshire, England. It's thought to be the oldest wood carving in Britain. It's thought to be around 6,000 years old, and it was discovered in 2019. The local archaeologist then contacted the organization Historic England for expert advice. Now Historic England has dated the S-specimen to the late Mesolithic period around the years 4640 to 4605 BC. It's the oldest piece of decoratively carved wood ever found in Britain. 
it does really open a window to the past. It lets us think about Mesolithic people in different ways. The lump of oak was found in peat during construction in a village. The markings on the wood are believed to be similar to the oldest known wood carving, which was found in Russia's Ural Mountains. The discoverer of the UK artifact has donated it to a museum. Coming up, twins from across Europe gather in Austria. They talk about some advantages and disadvantages of being twins. Details to come on NTD News today. Welcome back. Twins from around Europe meet other pairs of twins in Austria. The event is all laughs, fun, and a time to bond and share experience about what it's like to be a twin. NCD's Colin Fredrickson has more. Within the larger group of twins, pairs of twins felt good about no longer being the only ones to stand out in public. The special thing is that here we get to experience how others usually see us. We get a different point of view. Usually we are the twins and everyone is looking at us, but here it is a different perspective. Now we get to stare at a bunch of other twins. Some twins try to avoid being associated with their siblings in daily life, so they can be seen for their individuality. We usually make an effort to not look alike too much in daily life. We are wearing different pairs of glasses. We try to make sure that people regard us as two different persons and not as one. But sometimes it is not easy. The question, are you sisters, is really annoying. But others use being twins to their advantage and use mistaken identity for some mischief. Of course, take advantage of it if you have the opportunity. Peter took some important tests for me. He's much better in mathematics, and in exchange, I let him use my driver's license for some time. The event organizers spoke about the turnout. Most of the participants come from Germany, many also from Switzerland. And Austria, as the hosting nation, has a strong representation, of course. This year, we also have twins from France. But as former meetings, we did have twins even from the U.S. Some twins say the event gives them a strong sense of community. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. Now to some health advice. Ear infections are the most common pediatric complaint today, but most children will have had at least one by age five. Let's get some tips on how to prevent them. Here's NTD's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. Ear infections are tough for kids because they can be painful. It's not easy for parents either who have to watch their little ones suffer. The good news is that ear infections can be reduced if not avoided entirely. Consider adopting these nutritional and lifestyle tips. First, let's look at breastfeeding. Babies and toddlers who are breastfed suffer far fewer ear infections than their formula-fed peers. 
Breast milk contains antibodies that coat the mucosa tract of the respiratory tract. This protects the baby by fighting off harmful bacteria. Consider breastfeeding exclusively for six months and continue to breastfeed alongside solids for as long as possible. This will help to minimize the risk of developing ear infections. Next, let's look at allergens. Because allergens create inflammation, it can be linked with ear infections. Therefore, uncover any food or environmental allergens to try and minimize the occurrence of inflammation. Common food allergens are dairy, wheat, soy, nuts, corn, citrus, beef, and chocolate. Next, let's look at dairy. If your child is prone to ear infections, you may want to consider removing dairy from their diet. Because dairy is mucus forming, it can create congestion. This creates a prime environment for bacterial infection. Many parents have been able to eliminate chronic ear infections through this one change alone. Next, you'll want to avoid sugar. When sugar is consumed, it reduces the immune response by inhibiting white blood cell activity. White blood cells are essential. This is because they can help to fight off dangerous bacteria and viruses that cause infections. By avoiding sugar, you can help to ensure that their immune system is at its strongest. Next, you'll want to deal with colds promptly. To avoid ear infections, it is best to address colds immediately. Since colds often lead to ear infections, it is wise to try and prevent them as well as reducing their severity. Children should eat a high nutrient diet rich in vitamin C and A as well as zinc and omega-3s. Next, let's look at probiotics. Numerous studies show that adding a probiotic supplement to a child's diet can help to reduce the frequency of ear infections. Probiotics are good bacteria that help to boost the immune function of the body. And finally, let's look at bottle feeding. If you are feeding a baby with a bottle, remember to always feed them in an upright position. Because of the angle of the eustachian tube, milk or formula can get lodged in this tube. It can subsequently lead to ear infections. Although there is no surefire way to completely avoid ear infections, try these strategies to minimize their occurrence. Driving is not for everyone. One woman in Argentina found out the hard way when her driving test went terribly wrong. Surveillance footage shows her hitting the curb and driving over many grassy islands. Then as she tries to stop the car, she speeds up and crashes into a lamppost. The video of the ill-fated test in Argentina's eastern city of Lanús went viral. Local media reported that firefighters and civil defense teams had to assist the 63-year-old to get out of the vehicle. The woman was taken to hospital with minor injuries. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers, and you're watching NTD News.